0: we Yeah, uh, uh, sorry about that. Uh, I'm home. <laughs> well, a while back, there was a fella named Dan armed with a mod gun record in his hand with his buddy James. It would darn for days about all the killer music heard across the land. So they made a podcast of their own design. And lo and behold, was a mission to find the good, the bad, and the L. Hello and welcome back to The Good, The Bad and The LP, a music podcast dedicated to everything wonderful, woeful and, well, just plain right, weird. (laughs) My name is Dan and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, James. How are you, James? I'm great, yeah, I'm doing well. It's uh,
1: Sunday morning, 915 I've got a coffee in my hand ready to go. We're back for episode two, which
0: is exciting. Yes. Uh, can you tell the fine people what this episode is going to be about? This is going to be about homegrown New Zealand music, music from the motherland, which is very exciting.
1: I, I'm very excited. Yeah, i got a lot lot to cover. It'll be super informative for New Zealanders, and maybe not so much for international people, but hopefully... You know, you can pick up a few names and check out some things.
0: Yeah, in the process of doing a bit of research and thinking about the episode, I'm realising how much I don't know, which is amazing.
1: We actually created a playlist, a collaborative Spotify playlist, as a bit of a touch point for both of us and we both added, you know, sort of thirty tracks each. And I'm looking at Dan's list and I don't there's a lot of songs on Dan's list that I don't know and I'm sure vice versa, there's a lot of ones that you don't know on my list too, which is quite funny considering you know, globally, New Zealand music's quite a small thing, but, like, I'm just looking through now and the stuff here
0: that I've never heard before. <laughs> so, that'll, that'll yeah, be interesting. S- similarly, I looked at yours and felt slightly embarrassed and ashamed that I didn't know as much of the historical side of a lot of things from the Dunedin scene, and we'll touch upon that uh, later. But first, let's do a bit of housekeeping. So, what have you been listening to this week? I've been listening to podcast weirdly enough a lot of love podcasts which
1: is something that I've been trying to get into for some time but it, it really clicked I've been listening to this podcast uh, the series is called heavyweight and the way I found it was I actually got a, a recommendation from someone who watched our watched listened to our last uh, podcast someone that I used to know back at Melbourne uh, who's recently well she's moved to New Zealand but she's from Australia and she sent me a message saying she really enjoyed the podcast And she recommended a podcast called Heavyweight. In the last podcast, we talked about Alan Lomax, who did a lot of American field recordings. And she said that prompted me to send this podcast to you. And it touches on Alan Lomax. Basically, the premise of the podcast is this guy interviews people and finds out like traumas or things that have troubled them from way back in their life. And they still haven't really resolved those issues. So they try and go back and talk about these issues and either go out and meet the person who caused the issues or try and resolve them. So every week is a different person and their challenge and this particular one it's quite it's quite an interesting story I'll, I'll try not to spoil anything but he interviews one of his friends called gregor so the episode podcast the, the title of the episode is called gregor and gregor lent a friend some cds by alan lomax many many years ago and this guy never returned the cds and he used the cds in his own music because he was a dj and this guy started getting more and more popular based on these songs and it turns out this guy was Moby. And this guy Gregor tried to ask for the CDs back and Moby just ignored the guy for years and years. And Moby got super rich and super famous. And this Gregor felt like he hadn't done much in his life. And he felt that Moby may have ripped him off a bit or anything like that. So he's been wanting to get these CDs back, almost like proof to say that, you know, I did give Moby, you know, like the songs like Porcelain, like all those ones off that first, that big album, all the songs all the moby songs you know were from alan lomax samples which i didn't know this which i thought was really interesting and it's all about his quest to go and meet moby and ask for the cd's back and get some closure on why moby took the cd's and didn't give him any acknowledgement you know like that so it's <laughs> bloody it, moby yeah God bloody damn. it's yeah it's really funny and they got they go to his house in la and moby's all like clean eating and like yeah it's really funny and it, but yeah this guy basically meets him and tries to get some resolution out of it because I, I kind of get what he was saying. He kind of feels ripped off that Moby stole these CDs he gave to him with no acknowledgement and became famous off it.
0: Yeah, rightly so.
1: Anyway, each episode has a different person that confronts a similar, you know, a storyline, something to res- resolve in their life. So, yeah, thank you, Julie, for recommending that because I'm, I'm absolutely loving the podcast that there's two
0: seasons and I've almost finished all two, which is, yeah, really cool. I'm really loving the interaction and suggestions immediately straight off the bat, that we're mm. getting from people listening to us, and that's totally what I, I, you know, I couldn't have wished for anything better than to hear some great recommendations from from out there in the world. We did touch on that at the beginning of
1: the the first episode that we're trying to get you know people interacting and suggesting things, and that's exactly what happened. You know, someone's sent me in a suggestion, and you know that's been my week listening to that, which is yeah, like you say, exactly what we need, which is exciting. But that's what I've been listening to, which is awesome. But just on the same note. I just want to say thank you to everyone that liked and subscribed and listened to the podcast. I was blown away. I was expecting sort of, you know, I said to Dan, I'd be happy with 20
0: views. And, you know, I think we got close, I think we got over 100 by the end. Yeah, we definitely got over 100. And the likes on the Facebook page, we've eclipsed 100 (laughs) relatively quickly, which is amazing. If you're back for the second one, thank you very
1: much. That's the real test. I mean, it's it's amazing getting that amount in the first one because people are curious. But if they liked it enough to come back for a second one, this this for us is the real test now to see how are we going. <laughs> you know, episode two. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in end, if you didn't like it,
0: you won't be coming back. <laughs> and the the old adage that you have to break a few eggs to make an omelette. We will get better at this the more we do it. So we sort of
1: came up, well, I, I was thinking the, the next perfect episode would be a New Zealand music one, just because last week was our sort of maiden voyage, so to speak. And It'd be kind of a cool idea to start with something close to home and then in the next few episodes, maybe we'll go further out and talk about different music around the world or touch on things like that. But it's kind of a cool way to start from home, I suppose. And then we'll go from there. Again, we're trying to keep it a bit loose. We're going to talk about New Zealand music, currently New Zealand music 10 years ago and even going back to the 70s and 80s and stuff like that. And then we'll break it up a bit and start talking about some favorite albums, some worst albums, some recent discoveries, a couple of stories here and there. I guess that's a very basic outline of where Mm, we're going to take this. And
0: contextually, a lot of this will be related to our own personal experiences with New Zealand music, having grown up with it, having come into it from different angles. Mm. I, I think in a way that's the advantage
1: is that like, I mean, anyone can read about New Zealand music on the internet, but talking about it, you innately have a personal angle on it because you're talking about it through your... Your interactions with it, which I, you know, it's something I would find interesting is other people talking about music because they inevitably put their own spin on it. You know what I mean? Like it, that's that's mm. the, that's the cool part about, it. you know, even talking to people in real life. This is reading about it on the internet is you just
0: you just get people's experiences and especially with what we're going to do here, talking about growing up and our interactions with it. It's very it's very hard to be unbiased when it comes to talking about music from home. Yeah, I mean, I just on, on a broad sense. I have a soft spot, I
1: suppose. It's a word to say for New Zealand music, even songs that aren't particularly amazing. I I, I love them and they're set in my heart. You know, we were talking about this before. Just you know, abs- absolute classic New Zealand tracks like um, "How Bizarre" by OMC, which I think made it really big. I think it was like summer. What was it? I have no idea what year it was. <laughs> I think it was huge in the UK, and I remember being just as I was leaving England, that song was around. Um, I had no idea it was from New Zealand, but that song. It's kind of cheesy. It's not, you know, it's not challenging. It's just a fun pop song, but that sits as a song in my heart that I love and it reminds me of home, you know. OMC for anyone that didn't know actually stands for is it Otara Millionaires Club and Otara right, yeah. is a I would just say low income, low decile suburb in the south of Auckland. So it's kind of an ironic sort of name. It's kind of a fun fact there. Otara is a area full of uh, Pacific Islanders, Maori, Tongans I think there's a lot of Fijians Fijian Indians around that area and um, a lot of New Zealand hip-hop and I guess you'll call it Pacifica music came out of that area which is a bit of music that's a huge seg you know it's a huge thing for New Zealand music especially recent times a lot of big hits have come out around uh, hip-hop and and we have this sort of reggae sound as well that sort of this fusion between Pacific Islander reggae and hip-hop and that's Music that is very unique to New Zealand. But anyway, what I was going to say is I was reading an article about important gigs that changed uh, New Zealand. It's gigs that influence people. Like You've heard about the Sex Pistols gig where they they list all the famous people that, that ended up being at, at this the first Sex Pistols gig. There was like um, the guys from uh, Buzzcocks, I think the guys from Wire were there. I'm probably missing some important bands. I think Simply Red was even at that gig apparently. Anyway, <laughs> they, it, they played to oh like basically that place like thirty people in a small room. It was something like half of those people went on to form punk bands in England. So it was like a really influential show for, for punk music. Like that's like that's the legend behind it. Anyway, in New Zealand, I think it was in the early '80s, Bob Marley came out to play. I think it was Western Springs in Auckland. Mm. A lot of a lot of fans of reggae were of, of Pacific Island and Maori descent they went to the show. And apparently it was just, it was a mind-blowing, you know, it was an amazing show and it was so influential. And and for a big name to come out in the 80s, like Bob Marley, he was at the height of his fame. Apparently lots of people were inspired to create music and uh, set up a chain of uh, New Zealand reggae records coming out. And then out of the seeds of the reggae stuff formed the hip hop. And, you know, that was just an important gig that really changed New Zealand music from from like the reggae, hip hop, disco side of things, which I think is quite, quite a cool little story that's something... So it's more set up for seed, you know, to create that side of the, the thing. I mean, the, the other flip side of New Zealand music is the indie, post-punk, rock, and the whole Flying Nun label. That's sort of the flip side. I mean, I can't say it it, it is black and white New Zealand music in in that way, but I, I sometimes tend to see it as we have this whole, like, rock side of things and this whole, like, hip-hop,
0: soul, funk side of things, if you get what I mean. Yeah, I, I definitely get what you mean. I think it's because collectively the people in those bands in those genres they do it in such a unique way that is completely tied to New Zealand just you're talking about Flying Nun the whole Dunedin sound the fact that that's gone on to influence people internationally the fact that you listen to New Zealand reggae and it's not the same as your your traditional reggae from Jamaica uh, absolutely you listen yeah listen to soul, and everything that comes out of New Zealand, inevitably, once it gets to that level, you, you're just tied. You tie it to this country because yeah. it has a, it has that slight twist. Yeah, absolutely. Whether it's, a, yeah. whether it's the accent or the approach to the instrument or the fact that making sweeping generalizations about us as a culture, the laid back nature. Yeah, I mean,
1: I guess in a way, almost breaking that mold, I'm going to bring up Lord the i suppose most successful new zealand artist who's obviously world famous i think everyone listening to this will know lord without a shadow of a doubt for me her music doesn't necessarily have that link with me i'm not sure if that's because she is so famous or something Mm. like that but the sound is very clinical and especially on the first album i mean i'd really appreciate the production but that's something that does i don't associate that much with New Zealand music in a way. But I think that's also because, yeah, she doesn't, she seems to be always in the US
0: or, you know, doesn't have that. That's just my opinion anyway. Do you want to hear a quick anecdote about the reach of Lord internationally? Yeah, go for it. My mum and sister just returned from a trip to Vietnam. They were there for a week and not even a day into their stay. Who happens to come blaring out of some street side stereo? They can't get rid of it. Lord and my mum apparently started crying. She's really? got really emotional. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well there you
1: go. But that's interesting. It, it, I suppose it's other people's perspective. She's obviously proud to hear "Lord." If I was in, say, the UK and I heard "Lord," I'd be like, oh, I can't get away from this." You know, <laughs> for a while there, you could you'd forever be hearing Coldplay in cafes and bars and stuff. Same
0: thing. I feel like don't get, "Lord" these days is everywhere. Don't get me started on the level of Coldplay assault on my ear. Oh no, anyway, it's not what we're here to talk about. It's not, it's not. Speaking of what we're here to talk about, you found a really, really good quote. Mm. Uh, Between 2000 and 2010, a staggering 324 New Zealand singles entered the top 40. By comparison, the seven years since have seen just 141 Kiwi tracks reach that same milestone. Uh, This year today, which I'm taking would be 2017, only seven local songs have made it into the charts, and six of those were by Lord. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's staggering. That's that so sad, isn't it? Yeah. When,
1: when we say local songs, the quote does refer to the whole of New Zealand too. You know, and, and it's not even made it into the top 10, it's made it into the charts. Yeah, and for people that are interested, I feel, yeah, in terms of New Zealand local musicians making it big, is I, I may even say all time low. I know that's a big call. But it definitely feels that way, especially compared to sort of 10 years ago when we were growing up, where New Zealand music was everywhere. New Zealand music was being pushed by major labels. They had an interest in pushing bands and getting them into the charts, where that just doesn't happen these days at all. It's, it's that pretty might sad. Be a,
0: that might be a good place to segue into our entry into New Zealand music and potentially where it all started for us.
1: Yeah, I remember, obviously coming over to New Zealand in 2000 and I can't remember, was it 2007, something like that? I remember, I obviously didn't know anything about New Zealand music. I remember hearing Powderfinger and thinking they were from New Zealand for some reason. I soon found out that was incorrect.
0: <laughs>
1: um, but the first the first band, this is terrible. I feel like we're not talking about great music here. We're talking about bad music, but I'm going to bring up the Feelers, which I know we both dislike a lot, but they...
0: <laughs> well. The, the the podcast is the good the good the good the bad and the LP. We have to cover it all. We'll get to the good stuff at the end. I promise. Um, <laughs> we will.
1: <laughs> anyway, so so <laughs> I as I came into New Zealand, the Feelers were a really big band. I think they just released their first record, and they were really into the swing of things. So they seemed like a huge deal. They seemed like like I got the impression they were much bigger than they were because they were everywhere. People were wearing T shirts. They were buying the CDs. You know, i just walked into it as they were big so you know to me they seemed like they must be good or they must have talent or they must be i almost thought they were huge around the world because growing up in england you know if you're big in the uk you are generally big globally or you know most times if you're a really big band in the uk you're at least known in america and around the world whereas in new zealand you can be absolutely huge here and then in, even in, in australia no one's heard of you you know it's a very weird culture here that you can be, as the quote says, world famous in New Zealand, but then no one's heard of you anywhere else. So I, I assume that this band, The Feelers, who are basically the most standard basic rock band from 2005 that you can imagine, that's probably the best way to describe them. But yeah, I, I came into that and I liked them. Like, I, I thought they were really good. And that, I don't know if that's because I wanted to fit in with people that like them or if, you know, it was just me trying to assimilate into the culture more, but I jumped on The, the Feelers bandwagon. And looking back now, they're absolutely terrible. I've got a little story about the Feelers as well that I was going to going kind to of bring up. But basically, yeah, they. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on the Feelers? And then we'll get back to my story.
0: I. <laughs> my gosh, you couldn't escape the Feelers. Yeah. They were so almost omnipresent. You would go to the supermarket. What well, would be playing? Oh, hey, it's the Feelers. You turn on the TV and. What would be playing? There'd, it'd be a music video, the new music video from the Feelers. I still can't escape from
1: the Feelers. That's, this is part of my story. <laughs> they still haunt me, even <laughs> even when we recorded the last podcast, they were playing down at our local
0: pub, the Brownsie, and they were charging forty dollars for a
1: ticket. Did you know that? That's their
0: local. It's either the Brownsy in Browns Bay or the Albany Tavern. So they, uh, act, they, both, they yeah, Breath I, the I don't
1: know. They seem to be playing every time I go up to Auckland. And then when I went to go stay with my parents, which is two hours north of Auckland, they were playing up there as well. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You really,
0: you really can't escape
1: them. Really can't, but then this comes back to the other story of me not being able to escape them. So people know that I lived in Melbourne for close to seven years. And there, there was a few years there where I basically only came back to New Zealand. You know, at one point, I didn't come back for almost 18 months, which is probably the biggest gap between them. And I came back after 18 months... And I I flew into Auckland, and my parents picked me up from the airport. I hadn't seen them in you know, eighteen months, and we drove down to Lake Taupo, which is sort of a five hour drive from Auckland, south. And for anyone that doesn't know, Lake Taupo is a huge lake. Uh, it's sort of like a lake lakeside town, I suppose. They have a lot of like motels, and uh, they have like hot spas and stuff like that. But you can go and hike around the mountain nearby, and go and play, hang out in the water and stuff. But we went down there and. We rented like a, a spa r- room thing. We, we drove down there, we parked up. We walk around near the waterfront and I can hear the, the feelers playing, like the music. I'm like, oh, here we are, welcome back. The first thing I'm hearing is the feelers. And we get closer and closer <laughs> and the music, I'm starting to hear that it sounds like it's live. And I'm like, huh, this is really weird. And I, we walked ar- ar- around across the waterfront and there's like a little green circle and there's, there's about maybe 30 people sitting in a circle. And there's like women, and, you know, children there and older people there. And it's like a whole mixed bag. And in the middle of this circle sitting on the ground are the feelers playing like an acoustic set. But there's, it's not just the one guy. It's the whole band playing acoustically. And they're playing that horrible song, like Fishing for Lisa, whatever it's called. You know that one?
0: uh, uh that song.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I cannot believe this. I've been in the country like, you know, seven hours and I'm watching the feelers. And I hadn't been back in 18 months. That's how inescapable they were. I could not believe it. And they were just playing there for free out the front of a bar on this patch of grass. I was like, how? I was like, welcome home. I, was, I, I couldn't believe it. It was, very, it was very weird.
0: That small town New Zealand for you? Anything and everything is possible.
1: Yeah, I ended up seeing the band that I would not want to see just by happenstance being there.
0: Right off the bat. Uh, Feelers fans, feel free to email, comment. express your vitriol and anger the opinions expressed henceforth in this podcast are entirely of james (laughs) and james alone
1: (laughs) yeah so anyway we got off track to the point where we probably just end up talking shit about the feelers for 15
0: minutes
1: (laughs) how did we get here um okay so anyway i was talking about yeah my experiences with uh new zealand music so the feelers are one of the first big bands i remember and then i also thankfully hearing uh she had who, what I really got into them was the album Lovers Is a New Hate, which is a fantastic heavy rock record, but with like tins of metal. I don't know how to describe them. They're just a really crushing, heavy band. And they genuinely blew me away. I, th- I know She had is a band that we both can recommend wholeheartedly. And yeah, I think they just played the AOT Square show, which ended up being a, a, a legendary show. Apparently, I obviously didn't go. I've seen the DVD. And then I, I saw them lots of times around there. They were, they were playing a lot and they blew me away again, being a huge influence on me. The next big thing for me was going to the Big Day Out Festival, which is life-changing. The Big Day Out, if you ask anyone, even in Australia, you know, they were just absolutely quintessential rites of passage for anyone in New Zealand who's even vaguely into music. A massive festival that lasted a whole day and they brought, you know, international acts. I mean, I, I saw some acts I'll never be able to see again. Bands like Neil Young, I saw the White Stripes, I saw Iggy Pop and the Stooges, Rage Against the Machine, Bjork, Tool. Like, they, these are pretty big names. So I ended up going to that, I think, four or five times. Um, I saw some amazing bands i would never be able to see, especially down in New Zealand. But I saw a lot of local bands as well. I remember seeing She Had uh, just before, I think it went before Rage Against the Machine. And that, that was, yeah, mind-blowing again. That was, that was cool to be able to see New Zealand bands play to big audiences. That, that was a big thing for me. I mean, not, not specifically New Zealand music, but in terms of seeing live music and getting out, that was, you know, some of my first experiences was going to the big
0: day out. Sidebar, I ended up owning the amplifier that System of a Down played at, I believe, the 2005 big day out. There you so go. So I, I owned that amplifier. Do you still have it? I recently sold it.
1: Ah, there you go. Did you, did you put it up as like owned by System of a Down? I did. Ah, there you go. I did. It was probably, did you know the lead singer? lives in New Zealand, so he probably bought his own amplifier back.
0: Serge <laughs> sneakily definitely
1: uh, Yeah. Can you imagine if you go give it to him it turns up it is actually the guy from System of A Down.
0: <laughs> uh, I could only dream.
1: <laughs> anyway, um yeah, so I remember definitely in the early days going to see the the big day out and seeing these big names and I mean that just doesn't happen in New Zealand anymore. You just don't get those big names, those big bats band- there's no there's no real i mean there's laneway festival but there's no they're they're catered to a very specific crowd which is like indie i don't even know what it is anymore i don't know what that genre is you know what i'm talking about like it's like indie mixed with hip-hop like i know the hipster term is like the massive broad stroke thing but i i there's nothing that appeals to me on man, i'm getting old there's nothing that appeals to me in laneway anymore
0: um (laughs) you you and me both um the thing with the big day out as well, it was a fantastic proving ground for New Zealand bands. You would have the main stage, people opening early as in the morning, mm. and you would get a lot more bands actually getting to cut their teeth on a level that is not really facilitated in this country anymore, I, I don't think.
1: Yeah, exactly. And even just the experience of playing next to other big bands or meeting them or, you know, getting to play out with a professional you know, set up and yeah I don't know that's a really good point actually because I mean you look at Laneway Festival and you know say there's 30 acts I reckon 3 would be New Zealand if not and even then they'd probably just be DJs you know whereas I remember Big Day Out basically the first half of the day is mainly New Zealand artists
0: sure it'd be early but it doesn't diminish yeah. the fact that right. people sh- people would show up and you're playing the Big Day Out that was always a low-key dream of mine to to play the Big Day Out <laughs> play the Big Day Out early. it never happened and it never it it may come back
1: you never know yeah I don't know I I saw like the D4 and I saw like Stereogram and the Datsuns and all those guys playing pretty early on so and then I guess from there I know like for you like what do you remember the first gigs that you end up going to like do you have memories of the first bands you you saw live and stuff
0: because New Zealand music was such a mainstay of my home environment and that my mum would listen to a lot of classic New Zealand music, there was never the impetus to explore New Zealand music on my terms, because it's that classic, you don't want to listen to what your parents listen to thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when I was, when I was growing up and it came time to actually start going to gigs and I was a late bloomer, Mm. it wasn't, it wasn't about trying to find New Zealand music. It was to try and, find anything except New Zealand music and that's that's a whole nother conversation about New Zealand tall poppies cultural cringe how we're embarrassed mm. of our own identity or well, there is a large tendency to cut people down when they get to the top there's a little shame attached to that for some reason but it, that was my mentality at the time absolutely I yeah to get as far away from anything linked to my the, the identity that I felt like was that was kind of assuming. So my my early gig memories are all international bands, really. Yeah. My, my main memories of going to gigs were just playing with other local bands that nobody would remember, nobody would know anymore. People trying to emulate their heroes, not really doing anything different, not pushing it in a way that's uniquely us. And that's... A lot of the external influence and mm. at that time that would have been when the push for local new zealand music was dying down as well mm. because it though it was super 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 hard from about you know 2000 to about maybe like 2005 2006 there seemed to be a bit of a, a drop off yeah it was
1: i mean just going back to what you were saying about looking like you're not not really considering new zealand music i i was the same to a point where I was here, but all I wanted to do was find out what was happening in America or find out what was happening in the in the UK or, you know, I came here, but I immediately started looking outwards to what was happening everywhere else. Um, I don't know if it's because you almost, like you say, the, the tall poppy thing, you sort of discount what happens here as not being real or not being good because it's not globally important or something. Like, you don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just on a deep level. I th- felt that it wasn't that relevant or something like that. But yeah, I remember the same thing, like, even though I was seeing New Zealand bands here and there, I didn't consider them to be, you know, important to me or I didn't really recognise them as my favourite bands. They just happened to be bands that I was seeing live as a part of going out for the night or going out and seeing a show and having a few drinks. You know, I didn't really, for some reason, I didn't connect with them as being real, you know, things that would influence me or affect me. But I was more interested in searching and seeking out international artists. But yeah, going back to what you were saying about 2010, I mean, before that, you know, New Zealand on air, we're giving out like musical grants to bands left, right and center to make their own music videos and encourage them to record their own albums. And from like the, what, the 2002 to 2008, it seemed like there was, you know, bands coming up all the time just because they had funding. Like it's amazing. It's sad, but, you know, money and investment really helped at that time. And that's when we were listening to a lot of bands and a lot of bands were coming up. And yeah, it just seemed like a really fertile time, I suppose. I wish I'd have paid more attention to it. Mm,
0: thinking about it now, yeah, it definitely should have paid more attention to it. It's the kind of thing in hindsight that you don't realise how amazing it was until it's just not there. So obviously living in Melbourne, I had
1: the opportunity to see so many bands and because they were here more often or I had more choice, I didn't see a lot of bands that I should have seen just because that was just the way it was. Like there was gigs every night, you know, there's ten, twenty, thirty gigs every night in Melbourne and i just passed on things but now that i'm back home something like that if a band does come here even if i'm not massively into them i'll probably more like to go see a band because they're here which is a good thing i think in a way i appreciate them more whereas in melbourne i took a lot of things for granted like this band like i remember i could have gone to see like john cale the guy from the velvet underground and didn't go because i couldn't be bothered like what the hell you know if he came here i'd see him in an absolute heartbeat (laughs) it's just you know it's the context Mm. of you almost appreciate it more because it doesn't happen that much. You know, it's sad that it doesn't happen, but when it happens, you appreciate it a lot more, I suppose. A, a band like the Mint Chicks, I saw a few times when they were very small and they were like an art punk, uh, noisy band. And and they, yeah, I saw them a lot and they were quite influential.
0: That was a that was a pretty special time looking back on it.
1: Yeah, I know. It was very cool. And they, and they just seemed to be around and I never really thought they were going to... I knew they were good, but I never thought they would, you
0: know, go on and do quite well in America. There were many bands that they would have really, really huge hits that they'd play locally on radio. There was a a push by the government at the time, the Labour government of Helen Clark, to really put a a focus on promoting all things New Zealand, whether that was the film and television side of things and the Mm -hmm. music side of things, a mandate to have a certain percentage of New Zealand content on air in its various forms at all times. And it had to reach that quota. So, subsequently, the funding would go up. You'd get bands going into professionally inaccessible, really, studios for the the level at which you'd think you'd need recording really, really amazingly recorded bits of music. And you'd just see it and hear it all the time. So, The Mint Chicks, when Crazy Yes, Dumb No came out, that song was massive. Yeah, it was absolutely massive, yeah. I'm just playing it in my head right now. Like, I can, I can hear it, you know. That, that intro yeah really really iconic iconic songs that when you think of that era they just come to mind so i, rem- I remember when i was maybe in my early teens when the datsons started to become huge yeah, yeah. i know yeah i mean harmonic generator yeah that song is of its time hmm. when zed when they released glorophilia i must have been an intermediate and all of my friends were talking about this amazing song, thinking, what's this really catchy pop song? Huh. Then Zend has Renegade Fighter. Of note, there's a New Zealand sports goods company called Rebel Sport. They bought the rights to use that song in their advertising. So now it's kind of tainted a bit. Every time <laughs> you see a Rebel Sport ad hearing that song, yeah. you just think, oh my God. But that right. song was so massive at the time. Yeah, You'd have... Good shirt. What is it? The video for Sophie?
1: Yeah. uh, Where where the room gets stolen, yeah. Speaking of... You're missing out a big one here. The band Stereogram had a track called Walkie Talkie Man and it got picked up by iTunes. Oh, Apple,
0: sorry. And it got released and it was part of the marketing campaign in America. Did you know that? I did know that. I completely forgot. It's amazing just remembering these details where you think, oh my God, New Zealand music really had a moment. It did have a moment. I mean...
1: With you talking, set off a few things in my mind. I remember seeing the Datsuns. I have no idea where it was. It was an inside venue. And before they came on stage, it just had a black banner behind, uh, but, you know, behind the stage, you know. Yeah. And all it said in white writing, it just had the words, rock and roll, motherfucker. That's all it said in bold writing <laughs> in the background. And I thought that was so cool. And I was like, I'm part of something. And, you know, this is rock and roll. Like I I actually felt... Cause I, I mean, that was around the time when like the Strokes all those sort of jet, all those sort of like guitar, you know, when that whole thing was back around that indie rock revival, guitar 70s sound was around, rock and roll, all that was mm. big. So I just remember feeling like I was witnessing something big or cool at that point. And people at school were talking yeah. about Datsuns and people wearing Datsuns t-shirts, you know, I just have remember having a specific feeling of feeling like something cool was happening, I suppose, with that. But again, yeah. I didn't really consider them as, a real band
0: or something. I don't know. It is weird. Yeah. I. The funny thing is, I don't know why, but in my head, when you'd listen to bands like the Datsuns or the D4 or Deja Voodoo, you don't, I, I never thought of them as New Zealand bands. They no. they were just cool bands. They were, they were cool bands that had cool music and that was it. Yeah. It seemed normal. The push for it to become normalized, to make it so you'd hear it more, you'd see it more, you'd experience it more, it made it seem like it wasn't this weird little other, this little, oh, this, this patronized little New Zealanders, you know, trying to trying to do well on in the international stage. Yeah. It, was, it was, no, let's just treat it like it was anything else. You write good music, let's record it, and then put it out there and let people hear it instead of being completely dominated by the other. There's always looking outward thinking... That's the standard. Let's look to America. That's the level. That's the standard we should be aiming for. If you just treat it as, you know what, we can easily do that, which they proved they could, Mm. and make it normal, you normalize it so you have it side by side, all of a sudden it doesn't seem as twee, I guess. It doesn't seem as patronizing.
1: Yeah, it shouldn't be. It it should. It's rolled back to being the patronizing way again where there's not much coming through and... Someone like Lord gets it big and everyone worships her because she's managed to like push out and become world famous and stuff like that. But it's like you're saying, you know, we should be pushing not just one artist and praising her when she gets famous, but we should be cultivating a fertile scene and stuff like that. And like, I'm not taking away saying there's not, there's some amazing New Zealand bands that I've seen. You know, we saw Orchestra of Spheres and that was mind-blowing. They deserve to be huge, you know, I I feel. But I just wish yeah, there was more funding. Like I'm hoping with this change of government, in an ideal world, we would go back to that whole idea of the government investing more in New Zealand music. It might happen. I'm not sure it will, but that that would be amazing. I think. So I, yeah. I guess yeah, we've been talking about the stuff that influenced us as teenagers. You know, this is only going back ten years ago, but really, all that is owed to the the stuff that was happening in the late '70s, early '80s, and it, you know, even before that, in the '60s. But the stuff that I really connect with these days is the the independent movements around. The flying nun stuff and the expressway stuff, basically, as I said, when I was living in Melbourne, towards the end, when I was, you know, felt the pull of home, I really reconnected with New Zealand music, and I really got into this rabbit hole of New Zealand music I'd never heard before, and I and I discovered that it was these whole worlds of independent and experimental music that genuinely blew me away. I couldn't believe that the stuff was there, and no one seems to be, especially in New Zealand no one was really talking about it that much especially sorry I should say people around my age group just seemed to have no awareness of this amazing stuff that came out in the 80s in New Zealand like I just I couldn't believe it I was like you know this stuff is incredible how does how does no one you know but I, I mean, I've later discovered that a lot of old people do know about this stuff posting in in vinyl record pages a lot of people do seem to know it but for me people that I knew around my age had never heard of some some of these bands you know bands like The Gordons, Bail to Space, Skeptics, like they're all absolutely amazing, experimental, strange bands. Peter Jeffries, The Dead Sea, you've probably heard of. I think that's absolutely an amazing, unique band. But I really, really started to appreciate those bands. And I don't know if it was a combination of wanting to come home and those bands being from New Zealand, but it really rekindled. I suppose my connection with New Zealand and New Zealand music it's really hard to describe it, but I'm not sure if New Zealand music played a part in me wanting to come home more, or I was ready and I well, I wanted to come home and I connected with the music more because it was from home or something. Do you get what I mean? Like I, I don't know. I just felt connected a lot more through a lot of this amazing music I discovered.
0: Yeah, I felt similarly in terms of the decision to come home. There was one evening when I was over in South Korea, where I was introducing somebody to New Zealand music. So. A, Crash Course, Greatest Hits, they ended up falling asleep after maybe half an hour, 40 minutes, and I just ended up continuing for maybe an hour, two hours after looking at all of these old New Zealand music videos, looking at Split ins and Voom and all of the stuff that I, that I grew up with, and it really just made me feel like, you know what, there's something really quite unique and completely New Zealand about the identity expressed through the music you just can't get that anywhere else in the world, and I thought, you know what, I, I feel like I can I can easily go home. Yeah, it's um, I've talked to Tali about this a few times that I
1: feel like sometimes to appreciate New Zealand and yeah. even to appreciate New Zealand music, you almost have to go overseas. It's like you have to, do you know what I mean? Like you can't, you almost have to
0: leave to appreciate what you have in a way. Yeah, Fun, funnily enough, little little story. The first week I was in Korea. We went to a New New Zealand... It wasn't a New Zealand bar in Seoul, but it was a local hangout for New Zealanders in Seoul, this place called Hidden Cellar. And they had open karaoke. And it was somebody who's leaving function or leaving get-together for a New Zealander who was going back to New Zealand Hmm. and had people singing traditional songs. And there's an open mic going. And someone said, Dan, Dan. You play guitar, right? Get up there, get up there. I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> oh, what am I what am I, I going to play? Yeah. And there was something about being surrounded by New Zealanders in a small little bar on the other side of the world for me that screamed, of course I have to play a New Zealand song. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I played um, Beelines to Heaven from Garage Land. Yeah, that's a great track. Yeah, that's cool. Some, somebody from the back after I played and got off said, man you playing that all of a sudden I just I just remember all of the stuff from home yeah mm. and there was that connection This it's not a, the most well known song for lots of New Zealanders but this one particular one in the small little bar and soul knew it and really appreciated the fact that I brought it out it was that environment of otherness to really think you know what we have some and I say we New Zealand has some really amazing musicians and some great songs to be proud of yeah. that you don't appreciate until you're outside of that context. For sure.
1: Within this podcast, I don't know how you're feeling about it, but we seem to be, which I think is a good thing. You know, this episode is about New Zealand music, but we seem to be getting into a, a zone of telling stories about New Zealand music, not talking about albums themselves, which I think is really cool, like a really interesting way. Like we're not, we're not specifically talking about recordings and albums and specific things but we seem to be just the way the conversation is going we're actually pulling out memories or giving thoughts which I think is a really cool thing do you get what I'm trying to say like I don't we haven't necessarily set out to talk about it like that but it's not like we're reading lists and talking about things I don't know if that was what you you intended but it hasn't you know I I, in my mind I was imagining more talking about you know specific records but we sort of got into this which I think is really cool way of talking about our memories or our associations with music. Like that, that story you just told there is a really cool story that wouldn't have come out if we started talking more specifically about labels or releases or something more in a list type yeah. way.
0: There there seems to be just an inescapable, you're linked to the music in a way that's just beyond liking the song, liking the band, liking the album. It's a part of you. You take it with you. Mm. And that's, I think, really, it's a really lovely thing to realize that's part of why music's so powerful. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's not just some ephemeral, intangible, fleeting thing that's something you can't grab and can't touch because you live it. You live through it. You live with, you know.
1: Hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's just part of you.
0: But in saying that, sh- should we go to the list? Do you want yeah, we'll move to the fun segment
1: where we actually talk about music rather than talking about stories. I think we've basically each compiled a list that, it, it, you know is our favorite New Zealand album, our favorite recent discovery, a good record, a bad record, a weird record, a whole bunch of things. So this section is, I guess, an attempt to talk about the music a bit more than the stories. So, you know, if you put things in a list, it kind of forces your hand a bit that you have to stick to the list. Okay, James, show us your cards. So the first question is the favorite New Zealand album, which is obviously the hardest question because it can change every time. And like we said, we don't know every single New Zealand record. So what I've done is... Oh, I'm looking at my list now and apparently I picked four. <laughs> 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 I've got or, 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 or. So I it I wrote this like a few days ago and I've completely forgotten what I wrote. So I've split it into the nostalgia section and the obscure, more recent section. We'll go for nostalgia first. Have you
0: done the same thing in your list? I have also split it into two because there's it's so hard to just narrow it down to one singular album absolutely for yeah. one purpose so i think the, the way of splitting it up into different angles yeah i think is the way to do it
1: i ended up just having to look through my record collection and try and think about what i want to put in nostalgia i, I call it nostalgia but it's not really nostalgia it's not the right word but so yeah like we talked about she had killjoy is a, a monster rock record, just heavy crunching riffs, powerful vocals. I think as a band, they've never topped Killjoy for me. It's absolutely perfect. i agree. I know the tracks inside out, but I'm not sick of them. I'm not too familiar with them. They still really grab my attention when I hear them. Yeah, I think it's, it's a perfect heavy rock record. And I'm not massively into that sort of genre, but that's something that, yeah, is connected with me as, as a perfect record.
0: Yeah, and the, the thing about She Had. And the thing about that record, it's so unique. Mm. They play that genre of music in a way that's so idiosyncratic to them. Whereas Churn maybe borrowed more from um, industrial music, like your killing jokes. But with Killjoy, it just mutated into this weird... It's so grunty. And I'm pretty sure that the vocalist slash guitarist, John Toogood would agree with the term grunty it's grunty music yeah absolutely yeah it's so unique to them Mm. Mm. i think if i'm remembering correctly kirk hammett the lead guitarist from metallica when that came out he was really floored by it he listed it as one of his favorite albums of that year i believe Mm. i sort of have another story another
1: sort of personal story connected to that record one of my really good friends who lives in melbourne i'm actually going over to his, i'm going over to melbourne next week i don't think i told you for my friend's wedding did i tell <laughs> oh, you <wow>. that? no <laughs> anyway no you didn't <laughs> um so i'll be going record shopping which is exciting i met him when i first moved to melbourne i started he both started work on the same day and one of the first bands we talked about was she had and specifically killjoy and that's one of the first things we started talking about musically that obviously the original pressing of the record sounds terrible and it's very expensive and after like, you know, almost eight or nine years of waiting, they finally reissued it last year. Have you got the reissue? Did you buy it? I do. Oh, good. You should, see, you
0: should see how much that thing goes for now. I know.
1: But anyway, they did it at 45 RPM and it sounds incredible. And they've, they've done a really good job of doing, you know, justice to it, which is, so any, anyone that is a record collector, try, check out. It, yeah, it's obviously very expensive now, but yeah, it's they, they've finally done the record justice and done it as a, yeah, a two times 45 RPM disc and it, it sounds wonderful. But yeah, I guess that's another personal angle is, is having another friend that's really into it too and eagerly awaiting it. And I remember specifically going to his house and sitting down and hearing it on his system in its full glory and being blown away You know, all over again.
0: It's, it's amazing when you can sit down with the record and almost hear it for the first time again. It's very seldom you get those that's experiences, right. but that's what a good reissue can do yeah and that's exactly what a, and, that's, and that's what a good original pressing sometimes can do absolutely
1: so so moving on my other or was something i went to pick something in a completely different vein and it's the wellington band the phoenix foundation they have an album called buffalo which is uh, really underrated it's this like dreamy psych pop with like repetitive quiet rock rhythms on it check out the title track buffalo it's just it's just timeless and it has that real new zealand connection for me it just sounds like home it has a feeling of home when i hear it the lyrics are just have like this weird sort of kiwi like not humor but i don't know they're just they've uh, like you know the phoenix foundation they're a very kiwiana kind of band they're associated with new zealand quite strongly mm. um yeah i mean they feature on a lot of ads and soundtracks and stuff like that and they did the soundtrack for a while. Uh, what's the one movie that came out last year? The big one? Hunt for the Wilder People. They were Hunt on for that. The and I, I picked them because, yeah, they're, they're a band that Tali and I are really big fans of.
0: Their music videos, similarly, they're very, very New Zealand.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're just that, that sort of. I picked that because, yeah, that's very New Zealand. Where, where she had. They're a New Zealand band and they sound New Zealand, but their visual identity is more tied with rock and metal music you know, they obviously have a New Zealand sound to them and they sound, like you said, very of themselves, but you're t- talking about classic Kiwiana or Kiwi-ish bands, you know, the Phoenix Foundation definitely up there. And then I I picked two more, the obscure ones, I picked a band called Skeptics, who I think you're vaguely familiar with, or, yeah, uh, amazing band that they were one of the first bands, I, th- I may even say in the world, that started playing around with sampling and using... Textures and samples to create tracks, and they just—they just a fucking weird band. Like they, when I hear them, I just feel uncomfortable. They have this really weird, cold sound to them. It's really heavy. It's kind of like testosterone up, but not in an angry way. Just in like a creepy. I don't know. They they, they make me feel weird, but that's why I love them. It's so unique, and it still is unique. It sounds a little bit dated now, a little bit. That's just because of technology. But yeah, I think they're—they're a vastly underrated band, and. I could quite easily see a label in the US picking them up and reissuing them in the future. That's the yes, skeptics. They were on the Flying Nun label. And then yeah, my my final choice again this is, you know, there's a story attached with this one is I think I played you this record I'm not sure a few years ago uh Tali was working over here in Wellington as part of a job, but she was employed in Australia, so she would come over here to Wellington and work for a week, and then she would fly back on the weekend. Sometimes it got really busy where she was basically flying in and out all the time, and every so often I would come over and fly over to Wellington for the weekend to see her, just to spend the weekend with her, and then fly back to work the following week. Yeah. Anyway, one of the weekends, I think I came in on the Friday, she was working on the Friday, and I went to look at the record stores, and I walked into Peel Records on Cuba Street, and I was looking through the New Zealand section and I found this this record called The Backbone by Rabbit Lock. I had no idea what it was. It just had a really cool cover. I was like, that sounds like a cool name. And I put it on the, the little turntable there to test it out. And it, it was it was like a, a weird free jazz experimental record. And I was like, wow, this sounds really cool. But I remember it was forty dollars and forty dollars, you know, was really expensive for me to spend on a record that I hadn't heard before. And I remember there was some it's it's on the record label called Braille. And uh, long story short, the the Braille guys ended up doing a lot of work on the Lord of the Rings soundtracks and the sound design. Oh, no way. Yeah, so they ended up doing stuff on that. They didn't obviously write the songs and stuff, but more to do with sound design and uh, textures and stuff. Anyway, there was other Braille records there and I didn't pick them up because I didn't know them, which I regret now because I've later found out they're extremely hard to find. Anyway, I did pick up this <laughs> Rabbit Lock record, uh, despite myself not really thinking I should. And I got it home and I played it and it just blew my mind. It's just, um, it's like experimental jazz, but it has this really whimsical, light playfulness to it. And it, it sounds absolutely magnificent. Like it's recorded. Well, really, actually funny you should say, Yeah, th- when you came to visit last year for the Melbourne Jazz Festival, we went to a, a bar. I don't know if you remember, it's the first bar we went to, and we had a few beers. And I was telling you, this is, this is now where that, this record was recorded. Do you remember that? Really? Yeah, do you remember the, that bar? Do you remember that? And it was like we sat in the corner and it was kind of cozy and warm and we had like a
0: tasting tray. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow.
1: That used to be the headquarters of the Braille label.
0: No way, that yeah. place. Where can you find it in uh, Wellington? What's the
1: I can't remember the what the street is? I know exactly where it is and it's like 10 minutes from my house, but I'm really bad. Like, because Wellington is so small,
0: I know uh, how I to get places
1: but I don't need the street names. But yeah, it's a really cool bar. They have some really nice beers. But yeah, that used to be where they recorded and set up those bra- anyway, this the Braille record label now is it's really hard to get the records and they're very expensive when you see them, but for good reason because I've played it, I've played it to, to people in
0: Australia and they were blown away by by it too. They're like, I can't believe no one's heard this before. Nice that for anybody interested, uh, if you want to find the original location of the the Braille label, the place is the Third Eye Taurara Temple of Taste. You can find that uh, down at Wellington Thirty Arthur Street. <laughs> Did you just Google it? I did. What's the straight chord? Uh, Arthur Street. Ah, there you go. Okay, cool. Anyway, so do you want to do your ones? Yeah, so similarly, I've separated it into two slightly different angles. The first favorite album, because there are so many, I could, I could easily yarn about She Hadn't, and Killjoy, and even Churn for Days, but I've chosen one for nostalgia purposes. Hmm. Firstly, when I was 12 or 13... This was a time when I was starting to get into rock music, really exploring the idea of heavy guitars. And also there was the part of me that was still attached to that glorious period of 90s pop music where you had your immense tracks, you know, your crash test dummies, your Sheryl Crows, your Ricky Martins, all of that. Yeah. Hmm. And I just remember my mother at the time, she worked doing dried floral arrangements in arts and crafts. Every Friday, my sister and I would accompany her to this giant place where she'd go and exhibit all of her creations and salad and all that kind of stuff. And we'd just kind of hang out and just kind of try and kill time, really, by sitting in the car and listening to the radio. And i always remember this. First time I ever heard uh, Wild Wild West by Will Smith, which (laughs) that track was insanely huge. But it went from that song to a really heavy, cool, catchy song from a band that would turn out to be a New Zealand band called Tadpole. Uh, This song was all right. Now, all right, when it came out, was huge in terms of being played on the radio a lot. You wouldn't necessarily even hear it on your niche radio stations. It was on all of the main pop radio stations. The song played all the time. So this band, Tadpole, for that Christmas, my mother... (laughs) <laughs> having caught on to the fact that I was always talking about this cool song and asking about it, got me this album called The Buddha Finger. And that album was quite a successful record, really, um, yeah. in New Zealand terms. There were some really amazing songs on there, some huge tracks too. For a 13-year-old to turn on the television, go to the the station which would play music videos, and see a New Zealand band with a really awesome song that had a music video with animation that was basically a Dragon Ball Z parody, how could that not just speak to the very (laughs) core of my being? That song, Better Days, has a really, really cool music video. Yeah, I Um, haven't seen it. I should check it out. Yeah, Dragon Ball Z inspired music video. Funnily enough, uh, later, uh, another New Zealand band, Cora, would go on to release uh, another music video, which was also basically a Dragon Ball Z anime. Yes, um, I know that. Inspired, uh, glorious video. But yeah, so Tadpole the Butterfinger, for nostalgia purposes, that would be my go-to because it was really the first New Zealand album that I owned personally. Mm. In terms of my favorite obscure and weird record, I've gone with Fetus Productions, the album Luminous Trails. So this was released in 1985 on the Flying Nun label and is basically the brainchild of a gentleman called Jed Town. So, Fetus Productions was basically an art rock band in the early to mid 80s that evolved into this exhibition type art project and the music's very weird. It's very strange but I love it. You're listening you're listening to music that is very much of his Jed Town's crazy mind you'd you'd think he's a lunatic by listening to the music but it's 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 a great great album very weird very hard to get if you're trying to listen to it I believe on Spotify or digitally the only way you can listen to songs off that album is not even on the album it's off a compilation to get the record now I was just lucky enough to chance upon it when I um, found it but if you're to be ingenious enough to look around on the internet you could track it down very great. Highly recommended. Please do
1: that, listeners. <laughs> Shall we uh, move on to the uh, Best Recent Discovery? Yeah, let's do that. Best Recent Discovery is a album that I completely somehow must have skipped over that came out in 2012. It's by the, a collective called Homebrew, which are the on the Young, Gifted and Broke label. And I suppose... You know to give it an absolutely blanket statement it's like I suppose you would call it conscious hip hop with a really strong New Zealand perspective. It's a record I discovered a couple of months ago. I'd always seen the cover around and it, it, the cover is this really cool hand drawn sketch of some people graffitiing on like a a fruit and vegetable shop it's sort of it's sort of like a classic fruit. Have you seen the cover before by any chance? I don't know if you I just have, know this record No, I it's have. like
0: because I in listening to the songs you put on the playlist, yeah, that it's song just came this out.
1: really classic like sort of closed shop front that you'd see in any you know New Zealand suburb or something anyway uh, yeah they, they they are rapping and talking about uh really new Zealand specific cultural issues we have and poverty and being on the benefit and stuff like that, but it's it was just so refreshing to hear hip hop from such a New Zealand perspective and I, I believe in what they're saying and I believe in the I don't know to what point are they characters but the way they sing and the way they talk I, I can believe in those people and I believe in the struggles and I ended up discovering it a few months ago because someone posted a photo of it on a vinyl page and I, I kind of recognized the cover and I checked it out and I was like how, how did I miss this um yeah just just songs about I guess the dark underbelly I mean I mean we've been talking about the positive and the happy nostalgia things but New Zealand may be a paradise, but there's always a dark underbelly to everything, and this does a really good job at highlighting that dark, you know, that dark side of it. So anyway, as a result, I went to Discogs, had a look, to see how much the record was. It's a hundred dollars already, so that's that's gone. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that, that's something that I've been listening to a lot lately. Yeah, just just it's hip hop and rap with really interesting spaced out samples, and they sample a lot of yeah funk and soul. It's also they released the same guys. Pretty much. I think there's a few slightly different members released a record a few years ago. Artist is called At Peace, and that's that's really great as well. It's a similar vibe, but it's more spacey and echoey and stuff. Anyway, that's my my recent discovery, uh, Homebrew. And the album's called Homebrew, just self-titled. Originally came out in 2012. I discovered it two months ago.
0: For me, yeah, I just thought you were going to stop after I discovered it. I should have. I should have just... I discovered it. <laughs> Completely. Take the claim, James. I, I Take found the claim. it. Yeah, this is mine. Anyway, is... on to you. So my favorite recent discovery, Master Blaster, uh, which is basically the next uh, incarnation of a, a band called Shit River. It's just straight up good hardcore punk rock. Yeah. They've got two EPs, um, one from I think a couple of years ago called, called Doomsday's and another more recent one called Pass Out. They're short and sweet, cutthroat to the point, get your thrashing, awesome to skate to, awesome to bang your head to. Mm. Really done well. And the production, the vibe is very, if you know this hardcore band called Obliterations, it's very much in keeping with the gritty but still present sound of, um, I believe in the last podcast I talked about Kurt Ballou. Very, very cool. I should pick those up on a side note because they're still quite cheap and I should see them around the, the two EPs. Yeah, yeah. I have Doomsday's and it, it, sh- it, it shreds, man. It shreds. Yeah, I should get it. Anyway. It rips through the speakers.
1: <laughs> Best compilation. You know, I could, I could recommend a, a Flying Nun compilation which would cover a lot of the bigger bands on the Flying Nun label. But I've gone with a small compilation called Temporary by a small label by Fisher Rider Records. It documents. It's just a really amazing document of a local scene. It's probably about four years old now, but it, it um, documents about you know, seven or eight bands who were around at the time. Now have gone on to sign for Flying Nun. It it shows their connections with older Flying Nun bands. You know whether people played with other people or it's just a, it's just a compilation that captures a feeling of a sound of. A time in Dunedin a few years ago. Uh, tracks range from noisier stuff to jangle pop. And there's a booklet that comes in it, and it, taught, it just, it just, I don't know how to describe it. It's just a compilation that captures a scene really well. And when I went down into Dunedin uh, a couple of years ago, I caught a bit of that scene, and I got a bit of that feeling. And I saw, you know, there was band members from this compilation in the crowd with me when I saw a gig there. And it's like it's a good compilation because it reflects a time and a place for me, just to repeat it. The, the compilation is called Temporary, the Fish Rider Records compilation. But yeah, please check it out if you like indie, indie rock and jangle rock and stuff like that. Nice. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can track that down. Sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, it's a really nice package as well. They've put a lot of effort into, into that. There's like a booklet that comes with it and explains the bands and stuff like that. I mean, this yeah. one, they really managed to sell, sell the idea of the scene through the booklet which kind of adds to the i don't know the story of the record i guess yeah hmm.
0: yeah so in thinking of best compilation initially there's a very well-known compilation series called nature's best multiple volumes which is in being the son of a mother who just listens to a lot of your standard New Zealand music or your more mainstream stuff. She bought that album, and I got introduced to a lot of other New Zealand bands that I had no idea about. That had I been a little bit older in grow you know, when I was growing up, I would have more more than likely have loved it, on onto it. Thing like bands like Darcy Clay, just re- ending learning about the story of of the making of those songs and those releases. Anybody who knows Darcy Clay, he does this, well, he did this really awesome lo-fi, just recording it in his kind of almost in his bedroom type music. Very, very, very charming, (laughs) just gritty. And it kind of sounds like shit, kind of sounds terrible, but in the best possible way. Mm. And that song, uh, the main song he's known for, Jesus, I Was Evil. Yeah. When I heard that, I was like, oh my God. And then finding out that if I was maybe five, six years older, and you know I would have, I would have been
1: aware of it at the yeah. time.
0: <laughs> but unfortunately, uh, he passed away um, yeah. very young, which is a bit of a tragic story. Hmm. But yeah, I was going to go with the Nature's Best compilations because they kind of run the gamut with your more well-known New Zealand music. But I'm kind of cheating here. It's not so much of a compilation as it is a live rendition orchestrally of a band's back catalog with other musicians playing the songs, So they're, they're basically live albums compiled from uh, various kind of recordings. But the album is called Inso. Yeah, I've never heard this, by the way. So Split Inns, classic New Zealand band, anybody really, even people from outside of New Zealand would have a passing awareness of Split Ins. Eddie Rayner, the keyboardist from Split Ends, decided to put together an orchestral performance or a orchestral recording session of classic Split End songs. And it wasn't necessarily just done with the musicians from Split Ends. He got a stable of other well-known New Zealand musicians like Dave Dobbin and Annie Crummer. Even Sam Hunt, if you know um, yeah. the, the famous New Zealand poet Sam Hunt. He makes a, an appearance on there. And you get renditions, live orchestral renditions of classic split-end songs done by other well-known New Zealand musicians, and it's really quite cool. You've got somebody like Dave Dobbin performing Poor Boy. Now, Poor Boy is... I'd say it's one of uh, Tim Finn's signature performances, really. Hmm. And to hear it done by Dave Dobbin, you would think, hmm, is this really going to work? Yeah. As As soon as you... Change the format, make it sound completely different, even though it's still the same song. It just works. So that's not really a compilation. Uh, uh, I think we
1: can accept uh, that. Okay, so the next next three, we've got a good, a bad, and a weird record. Good record. This is a, a it's a quite an obscure record, but the artist or band is called Clay Pipe. Two guys from, I think they're from around the London area, and the album's called A Daylight Blessing. Now this is a really weird it's it sounds like a soundtrack but it's not and it's done has a really like film soundtrack textures to it it's done using a mixture of field recordings and strange instruments it's it's a record that when you hear it it uh completely transports you away to somewhere else like uh, immediately you're taken on a journey there's like like noodling guitars with like ambient sounds like you know there's there's sections recorded in the field or on a beach or something like that like it's just a, a really strange record that yeah I guess it takes you away on a journey but in a, like in a kind of a, a relaxing ambient way like it's not a heavy record it's just a really beautiful um, thing that sort of sends you on a journey I guess is what I'm trying to say uh, it came out I think maybe three or four years ago I think you can also get it I should add it to the Spotify post if it's on but yeah the, the album's called Daylight Blessing by Clay Pipe that's definitely a good record because, I mean, I, I just thought we should do a good record section because we've got favorites and we've got bad and there wasn't really a middle ground, so talking about good records is a chance to highlight something you recommend that is not your favorite, but is still, you know, really good. And then onto bad records. I mean, I could have gone for, like, the easy kill and picked, like, the feelers again, the, the op shop, but I thought I'd pick something that is quite well regarded that, for me, is a bad record. There's a band called Gate and a member of Gate, is in the Dead Sea, who are a really high-regarded noise rock band. Gate, they branch off and they do more, like some of his stuff is noise rock, but he uh, influences like beat, like beats or I guess less harsh textures, like electronic sounds into it. And some of the stuff is really good by Gate. Anyway, Gate is basically the moniker of Michael Morley. And Michael Morley is listed in a record two years ago under his own name called Moonrise. Now, what this record is, it's him on an acoustic guitar trying to create sounds and textures. It's basically him just fucking around on a guitar for like 45 minutes. Now, a lot of people have praised this record, and you know, you know, there's a lot of good reviews about this. But I got this, and to me, it just sounds like a guy messing around on an out of tune guitar for 45 minutes. I think it's really bad. Other people seem to love it. I don't know. You should have a listen to it. See what you think like it's a it's a, it's such an art statement that a guy that's very proficient is just fucking around playing i don't know he's trying to he's trying to lay down a sound bed of of guitar for 45 minutes and it doesn't for me it doesn't really go anywhere but that's why I picked because I knew it's well regarded but I think it's rubbish anyway I've got a a copy here that I'm going to sell if anyone's interested <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's my pick and then um lastly a weird record is a record that is very weird and very unusual for New Zealand. It's a Harry Krishna record. And the album's called Benediction Moon. And it's got an incredible album cover. It looks like a psych rock record. And I picked it up without even realizing it was from New Zealand until I got it home and I looked on the back. Because it it's one of those records that you can see for like $5 and you can see it for like $50. Depending on what record store you're in and how they want to hype it. If you type in Benediction Moon record on the internet, it comes up as uh, psych rock harry krishna masterpiece but it's really just a a flat out harry krishna chanting record but the story around it is basically it was recorded by a cult in like a harry krishna cult basically in new zealand as a way of getting out getting the um you know the words of the harry krishna out to people but it's got this really epic cover and some of the tracks are straight up harry krishna some of them have like a, a kind of a cool psych folk acid folk guitar to it so it's very weird and it's just, it's just a kind of a weird course story to have a, a Hare Krishna record in New Zealand. I don't know. That's just That was my weird pick. Anyway, Dan, if you see it, you should just pick it up because it's, it's worth a
0: listen. As long as you're not paying 50 bucks. I got mine for $5, you know. Well, knowing me, knowing me, I'll find it and it'll be something like $100 and I'll just be like, you know what? I need some Hare Krishna in my life because I don't get enough already. No, I know. <laughs> anyway. anyway, so that, that's my, my weird record. Do you want to my list oh my list pales in comparison my god um so in terms of a good record the way i've approached this one is maybe it's not considered to be the best or maybe not the most popular release of this band's catalog but i think it potentially has more merit or it's more interesting thematically uh this album that i've chosen is Time and Tide by Split Ends. So most people know Split Ends for their very well-regarded album, True Colors, which had lots and lots of hits on it. Time and Tide, a couple of big songs off it too, but maybe not as well-regarded by the general populace, or maybe it kind of... It did very well. It was very highly regarded when it came out critically, but... I just don't think it maybe had the impact it potentially should have. I I think it's a lot more interesting because at the time, Tim Finn, uh, his marriage was really falling apart. And a lot of this album, there's this undercurrent of almost futile despair and a little bit of hopelessness, but with a a twinge of unrelenting perseverance. The, The big song from it would be Six Months in the Leaky Boat classic song you lead from you've got the leaden of pioneer which is so evocative of to me that's one of the most new zealand sounding things i've ever heard it just sounds like a seafarer chart like sailing the seas something like james cook just charting the the unknown waters looking for new land and new opportunity very idiosyncratic some really great songs on it too i mean dirty creatures a banger but even a song like giant heartbeat which is a Neil Finn sung composition. There's a certain splittings have always been weird, but I think this is more consistently. I think it's I think it's a more consistent record in terms of the songs. Maybe not all being ridiculously mainstream songs, hmm. but I think that it's I think it's more interesting and there's a there's a general thematic flow to it. I think that's quite yeah. interesting. Hmm. It's really cool. I think that would be a if if you if you know Split Ends and I think most people do. Hmm. But if you've never really given that album a solid listen, I think it's highly advisable to yeah. So that's my that's my choice for good record for bad. And this is kind of for not the reason you may think. Since we were to- talking so much about She Had, if you don't know She Had, ended up changing the name to Pacifier around uh, just after two thousand and one. So after. The attacks on the World Trade Center in America and the idea of a jihad, basically in wanting to become commercially viable in the US, they really wanted to try and make the push over there. They were told that there was no way that they could get away with still calling themselves Jihad, So they acquiesced to the pressure and changed their name to pacifier I'm based sorry. on <laughs> one of their massive, um, massive songs from the general electric their last album before the new uh, iteration of she had and this album i i think it's bad for lots of reasons but mainly because it just shows what happens when you turn your back on your identity and though they'd, they'd be the first to admit it that it's overproduced and it's you know they've just squeezed everything within an inch of their lives just because you throw money at something and you have lots of yes men telling you what to do, what it should be, no, this is how it works over here, instead of trusting your gut. And and if you've seen the She Had documentary, there's that whole section is really, really interesting to hear their perspective on it. But I think it's a it's a cautious tale in that sometimes reaching for the brass ring and making concessions, sometimes there are maybe one too many and it's funny because they originally called themselves she Had by misinterpreting the in the movie Dune, them saying Jihad. So there's already that classic, like, we, you know, in New Zealand, they're kind of getting things the wrong way, making it their, making it their own. Huh. <laughs> but I think that's a bad record. Like, it's, there's some catchy songs in it, but it just doesn't sound like she Had. It yeah. just sounds like some band trying to make music that is done by committee instead of from their own perspective and yeah never turn your back on where you come
1: from folks no that's 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 the moral of this the story
0: all right so
1: new zealand gigs that blew you away i've sort of got two in this one but i'll try and get through them quite quickly the first was um seeing the veils in an emerald city at lisa saw in 2005 with Tali, who is my girlfriend and still is um we both a big fan of the Vales, and I was a fan of Emerald City. And uh, I just remember we drove up on a really nice summer's night up to Lee, which is I guess how far is it from Auckland? It's like an, an hour and a half to two hours. Yeah. Uh, and there's a nice storm up there, and they played in a, a, you know, and Emerald City blew me away. They were playing like a Turkish psych rock thing, and it just blew my mind. I'd never seen a band to play, you know, that could play. Up until that point, I'd seen a lot of indie rock bands and a lot of, uh, yeah, guitar sort of bands and nothing like that was sort of psychedelic or krautrock rock or anything worldly, I suppose you would call it. And that, yeah, blew my mind. I mean, looking back, it's quite an odd pairing because The Veils are sort of like a massively Nick Cave-influenced indie rock band. So to mix them up was quite strange, but we'd both been anticipating seeing The Veils for some time and they, and they played a, a perfect show. I guess that sits in my heart as well as being you know, tying my personal relationship with my music. It all came together in a perfect package of just being a really special night. It was a really big deal. And then um, I, I guess, secondly, another big one for me was very recently. Well, I'd say recently. It was almost two years ago now. But before we decided to move back to New Zealand, we came home. We did like a road trip on around the South Island. And I was listening to a lot of New Zealand music at the time and I was reading up on on lots of bands, you know, specifically the Bats, the Terminals, uh, I don't know, a whole bunch of stuff. And we stayed in Port Chalmers, which is a small little place just outside of Dunedin. And I knew that's where the Dead Sea or the guy from the Dead Sea had his own record label, Expressway. And I kind of pushed to go there on purpose because I knew a lot of music I liked was from that area. Anyway, it's it's a tiny town and they have a small hotel at the end of town called Chicks Hotel, which has since closed down. As we got into town, I saw a little flyer in, a sh- in an op shop window saying that um, Robert Scott of the Bats w- was playing a show that night in, in the bar. And I was really excited because I've been reading about the stuff, listening to it, and happened to come across an opportunity where he was playing. So I walked down in the evening. Tali, I think Tali stayed at home and she was watching MasterChef. I remember really well. And I, I walked into the bar. <laughs> I walked into the bar and like Robert Scott, the lead singer of the Bats, was just sitting there having a beer. And I just, it was such a weird moment that I felt like I was in a, it was just it was just very surreal. Someone that you've watched music videos of online, listened to music and stared at the record covers. He's just sitting there having a beer. I should have said hi to him, but I was just too, I was just so surprised that there was me, him, a bartender and like four other people in the room. I just didn't say anything. I went wow. and got stood at the back. Yeah. And I was like, what so the So intimate. Ha-? Yeah, it was very strange. And then I, I I go stand at the back and a few people come in, and I start chatting to a guy who lives in the area and we talk about music and then yeah the the Robert Scott comes and he plays like the bat songs in front of me and like ten people. Then I notice some other people from other bands that I recognized were around and i for 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 that moment, I felt like I was in a scene that I'd been reading about. It was very strange and the next night, a band called The Terminals, who you might quite like actually were playing a show, and that was the the first night that they hadn't played a show in years. They, they were originally a, a early flying Nun band. This was like their reform, reformation and they happened to be playing the next night in Port Chalmers when we were there. So I went down to that, they played an incredible show. It sounded like, I remember thinking in my head, I bet this is what Joy Division sounded like live. Like they were that good, I just, I, I had this thought in my head, I was like, this sounds like Joy Division live. It was just people from bands around that I recognize and I, I saw the same guy that I was chatting to the next night, and he was there. We went out the back, and he had a smoke. And the guys from the terminals were sitting out having a, a cigarette out the back. And the two guys from the terminals, they released one of the first singles on Flying Nun under the Pin Group. So they, you know, they were absolutely instrumental in founding New Zealand music. You know, they were the, they're the first releases. They really pushed the early stuff back in the early '80s. And I was sitting wow. outside next to them, have you know, they were having a cigarette. I was like fuck this is New Zealand it's so small inside I was like you know like an excited fanboy that I you know I was there and you can hardly contain your excitement yeah absolutely so that, you know obviously the music was amazing but just I felt you know it just felt like you know when you read about a music scene and you think how cool it would be like you, you know you read about the grunge scene in Seattle how cool it would be to be there I felt those two nights that I was in, this, in the scene that I read about you know it was that it was that moment for me which is really cool
0: I I, I would say that's a hell of a thing to have happened.
1: Mm, oh, it was amazing, yeah. I, I just, I'm
0: just listening to you. I'm a little bit jealous, man.
1: Yeah. And then after that, I just wanted to come home. I don't know. That was, a, that, was a, that was a big, important thing for me. It sounds stupid that I can base that on music, but I just felt, I was like, this is a sign. <laughs> this is a sign. And then I came back from the gig and we went to bed and I, and I had the best night's sleep I've had in a, such a long time. We woke up the next day and Tali and I, both of us, felt so relaxed and we woke up. We slept in, we woke up, we feel very rested. And I just, I remember having a really good sleep. <laughs> that, that's yeah,
0: so that, that's that story. That was the power of the South telling you, you know what, hmm. you, need, you need some New Zealand in your life. I
1: know. And as a result of that, I got a tattoo of the South Island Southern Alps on my
0: arm. Anyway, that's
1: another story for another time.
0: <laughs> uh, you? So, one that blew me away, quite a memorable night I went to see a band called Carnivorous Plant Society at a little place called the Audio Foundation in Auckland. The Audio Foundation is a weird little performance art space for creative types. It wouldn't be the first thing you would, you would assume would be a great place to see live music, but it's very small, very intimate. You go down a bunch of stairs and you think, am I at the right place? It's very low-key in the best possible way. I love it. And I had heard about this band kind of Risk Plant society and their description, if I remember correctly, was something along the lines of cinematic jazz, by the way of Morricone and David Lynch, which immediately I thought, okay, I have to see these guys. I need to see. That's a lot to live up to, prom- isn't it? Yeah. To see what the promise of this, this grand descriptor would be. Uh, similarly, uh, they refer to themselves as a psychedelic Mexican fantasy band very eclectic bunch of musicians. So I went to go and check this band out, not really thinking much of it, and it started to piss down with rain. Like, it was basically torrential weather. I was like, oh, man, like, I have to make all of this effort to, like, go and catch the bus from, like, the shore into the city. I have to, like, make sure that I, you know, don't get wet and didn't have an umbrella. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be, like, soaking wet through this gig. It's like, do I make the effort? And I... Saw a, a clip, this animated clip that went to one of their songs, and I thought, I I can't I can't turn this up. So I made the mission, yeah. got drenched, make it to the Audio Foundation, and was greeted with this weird. <laughs> it was just this giant vibraphone. You have you know the keyboard set up, uh, synthesizers, and a whole bunch of people crammed in this really small space. And they start playing this lush. It's very cinematic. Yeah. It's a very cinematic band, and it's attuned to all of the things that I love in my weird cinema. You'll Lynch weirdness. The the facade of, you know, you think you're just looking at a, a, lovely suburban white picket fence, small town. But there's a weird dark underbelly. So you you, you listen to their their take on jazz, and there's this weird dark lingering spectre behind it all yeah but then you get these really um they would play this really joyful um celebratory energetic takes on mariachi music and that have uh there was a giant i think a giant eyeball or someone dressed up as like a giant eyeball this paper mache wow almost like an effigy being paraded around the crowd in this really small space and everybody's like having a just like a really good time and like i just remember being transported and thinking are they are they selling records are they selling like cds can i like get something like straight after the gig find out that they're selling the album i have to like uh, i'm like checking me how how much is the record how much oh yeah yeah yeah, like tells me how much like shit i have no cash i have to like run out onto like k road and the piss like it's still pissing down with rain have to go and get the cash out get the record i kind of like never see say oh I, i i loved you guys you guys were like really really cool so I go and get this record and I'm just like, oh, how am I going like, to make sure that this record doesn't just get completely obliterated before I get home? So I'm like, I take my jacket off and I'm you know, covering this record. Mm. Just cold, <laughs> wet, having to like walk yeah. through this torrential weather to get to the bus stop, thinking, you know what? I couldn't care less. This gig was just everything and more than I could have wished for. Yeah. So right. I, I've just been championing that band ever since. I love it. Blew me away. So I saw that back in 2015 on the 19th of uh, September. I wrote down the date because I knew it would be important.
1: There you go. Very specific. Cool. All right. So next one, should we do a song, a New Zealand song?
0: Yeah. Let's narrow it down to a single New Zealand song. If you could say represents everything that you love about New Zealand music, (sighs) which is a big task. It's a bit tough.
1: Yeah. Okay. Again, I'm going to pick a song. Yeah. Okay. I can do this. Um, I'm going to pick a song called Western Isles by The Bats. Now, The Bats are a famous Flying Nun band, and I remember someone I know once described them to me as sounding like being wrapped in a comfortable, warm blanket, which may sound boring, but it's also the nicest feeling in the world. Uh, they're an a <laughs> indie jangle rock band from Dunedin, but yeah, they, every, every record sounds the same, but it's different, and that's kind of one of the few instances where I'd say sounding the same is a good thing because they have, just have a really warm... Sound to them, simple lyrics, very jangly and interweaving, and everything it, it sort of yeah rolls around each other. Has a, a track called Western Isles, which isn't specifically about New Zealand, but there's lyrics in New Zealand about coming home, and that I interpret have been about being back with the people you love and your family, and this this moment that I referred to about, about wanting to come home. Those lyrics really re- resonated with me, and at at the time of when I mentioned before, Tali was coming over here and working and I was in Melbourne she suggested we move home and initially I wasn't too keen on it but after going to visit her a few times I remember specifically flying out on I think it was like I had to get to work in Melbourne for 8 30 in the morning and I was catching a flight at like four thirty in the morning five thirty in the morning something like that and I think I was coming to work late so it got to the point where I was in the airplane and the plane was flying out over Wellington and the sun was rising, and it was one of those perfect views from the window, and the song Western Hours was playing in my headphones, and just the combination of the view, and, you know, sad to be leaving Tali, and the lyrics about um, wanting to come home and stuff, all just, you know, it was like this weird moment from a movie or something where, where, you know, I I don't know, it just hit me on some level that nothing had hit me before, that, yeah, that that was what I wanted to do. It was a moment of clarity again. Just the, the nature of the song, just comforting, and it even references New Zealand, in it it's kind of an uplifting song in a way I guess yeah that would be something that it just reminds it reminds me more of the moment of New Zealand rather than New Zealand itself if that makes sense but yeah that's what I go with I think
0: wow so that was a real transformative moment it's it's, it's surreal to actually recognize in the moment the fact that it's almost like you're living a scene from a movie yeah I I know it is the soundtrack to a pivotal moment in your life where everything becomes crystallized that's amazing
1: It was. Hmm. When I was telling you the story, I could see it in my mind. Exactly the image of what I was seeing at the time, and I can still feel that moment. Wow. Power of music.
0: Huey Lewis in the news once uh, exclaimed, you know, the virtues of the power of love, but really, it's the power of love expressed through music. Yes. (laughs) I could list, I mean, there are so many songs I could list. I was going to go with something maybe potentially considered cliche, something like four seasons in one day by uh crowded house. But the one that it calls to me, it calls to me is the song outlook for Thursday by DD smash. D- Dave Dubbin, Dave Dubbin's band to me. It's just, it's so Kiwi. Just this, this weird kind of like, she'll be right attitude <laughs> where like the weather can be absolutely shit. It doesn't matter. Like sure. You know, shit happens, but there's this weird, you know, number eight wire, we'll just make things work. It's this weird undercurrent of, it's the way he sings it too, the way he gets the like, the, um, I can't do it. The way he says, it's the way he says the word fine. It's so Kiwi to me. Dave Dobbin, there's no one else who sounds like him and he sounds like a New Zealander and in the best possible way, that Kiwi twang. It's the beautiful kind that's charming. I love the Kiwi accent. But yeah, just the, you know, We'll be together by design. We'll make it happen. It doesn't matter. It's just the pers- the perseverance. We, we get shit done and we don't let the, the weather dictate our lives, even though it kind of dictates our lives a lot.
1: It does, especially in New Zealand, yeah.
0: Yeah, I just love that song. It's so catchy. I could sing it all day long. I could listen to it all day long. I could think about it all day long. And yet I would never get tired of it. There you go. It's great. To me, that's New Zealand. That song is New Zealand. Absolutely,
1: I think that's a uh, good way to wrap up the the segment with that's New Zealand. You know, that, that's what we're going for. I think we've come to the end now. Thank you for sticking with us through that. Hopefully, it uh, kept your attention for. Uh, I've not been going on for a long time now, but yeah, I, I guess that went pretty well. I'm pretty happy that, that came out. What do you think? I think we did all
0: right. I think it, I think it's been a fun way to be cognizant of the fact that. It's all, It's very easy to lose track of your identity through your culture if it's not something that is expressed a lot. And during the heyday of New Zealand music, it was a moment to just to be proud that the, you know you could you could listen to New Zealand music and it wasn't other. It was just the norm. And now you have to kind of make an effort to do it. And I think it's it's nice every once in a while to just be reminded of how cool new zealand music is yeah like past present and future yeah it's just rad absolutely hopefully dare i say we're due for another giant groundswell of seeing more new zealand music you would you'd hope so but you know if if we don't then at least we have what we have that's true i'd say that's that's the best
1: ending i think you can think of is just if we leave it at that just appreciate new zealand music and be grateful of what we got really
0: Yeah, yeah. So, thanks for listening. Uh, We've made a playlist. We've mentioned it a few times. A playlist of some of our favorite New Zealand songs, and we will link to it in the episode description so you can check it out. And definitely subscribe, like if you if you want to have a conversation, you want to discuss, throw some suggestions, maybe talk about your favorite New Zealand bands, your favorite New Zealand songs, what your kind of like a little bit of your story with it. We'd love to hear from you. Great. All right. Thanks guys. You can find us on Facebook at Cast, And, uh, we're on iTunes now as well. So look for the good, the bad, and the LP and, uh,
1: yeah, we'll see you next time.
0: Yeah. What's the, uh, what's the tagline? Cut.
1: Yeah. Cut. There's no, there's no,
0: <laughs> there's no good way to end these things.